0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Sweat Equity. This is episode 12. And you know what, when I started this podcast back in February, I had no idea that we were going to be dealing with a pandemic. So you know what, it's been an absolute gift to be able to connect with people week to week to record this podcast and touch base with the community and the people in it and the people that matter so much to me. And and I think... If there's one thing on the other side of this is that we're going to have a lot of really crazy stories. And I'm looking forward to the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to be doing Sweat Equity live. Uh, we're going to live stream this on EXFM. And uh, that's a great channel. You can watch it up on Twitch. You can also probably see it on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash esetmusic. I've had that set up now for a couple of weeks and I've been doing these crazy long format live streams, which has been really fun. I don't know, if you're a DJ and you you haven't been getting in the live streams yet, I highly recommend starting and just trying it out and and going in for those long formats because, man, it's a great opportunity right now to exercise some of the skills you don't get to do in the normal club life. So I highly recommend that. Other news from me, um, I've been doing this really hilarious daily photo blog on my website, isetmusic.com. Um, just posting a photo or two a day of what I've been up to with some dialogue there. And it's actually crazy after a month looking back at the stuff I've been doing and just being in my own house for this long. I'm starting to go a little crazy. I'm sure most of you are. And um, other news I've got going on is that I'm releasing a free track uh, this Monday, tomorrow, for, for those of you that are tuning in on the day that this is released. That would be April 27th on my SoundCloud. This is a record that I produced with Amadeus, who's my partner. We produced this back uh, about a over a year ago now, but uh, the track's called Palma, and uh, we've been sitting on it for a while, and I'm happy to put it out at this point. And the artwork is done by James Tollson from, well, the James Tollson of. Stalemate photography. So it's been great uh, supporting some local artists. The mastering's done by Cloves as well. So look forward to that on SoundCloud. Now, regarding this week's podcast, I've got two special guests on this show, and I will get right into the intro. This was recorded on Zoom. So do apologize, do apologize for some of the digital sound quality. You know, this is what we're dealing with right now with COVID, and I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, welcome to Sweat Equity Anecdotes from the Dance Floor. This week we have a Kind of another one of these COVID 19 special editions, but only because we have the capability to do uh, group conversations now with the Zoom. It's been great. I've got Dan Dirksen and Michelle Sparksman on Zoom, and we're gonna talk about sa- sound and lighting and PK sound and what it's like to work in the uh, in the tech side of the industry. So why don't you guys tell me a bit about what it is that each of you do? Because you both do different things, but you both do similar things, and I'd love to just hear more about all the things that you do.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll go first, I guess. I'm Dan. Uh, I've been with PK for just about almost six years now, actually. Six years in June, since my first gig. Uh, I started kind of more part-time, just doing the odd uh, uh, show with them as just kind of you get into the industry as you just, you start pushing cases and loading trucks and getting told to set things up over here. And you don't really know what you're doing, but the more you do it, the kind the more you Get uh, acquainted with all the terminology because there's a lot of terminology of cables and connectors and stuff.
2: Yeah, I bet. Um,
1: but uh, before that, I was a uh, sound or no, I was more a lighting and visual uh, tech at a uh, nightclub called 10, Ten mm-hmm. Nightclub That's in right. Calgary, which no no longer exists. But that was where my I kind of got um, aware of what PK sound is and got involved with some of the PK guys through Ten in a sort of way. Yeah, and uh you know I was a uh at 10 I handled all the changeovers of all the DJs so I got really knowledgeable about the DJ gear which anyone who's a DJ has played clubs that has not had a good sound tech I'm okay. sure you've run in I'm sure you've run yeah. into an issue with frustrations with cables not being plugged in properly or whatever okay. there's a list of things and you know just being in that environment allowed me to really Um, become aware of all these issues that can pop up and how to quickly because you need to be like instantly able to
0: yeah I mean people don't realize that how stressful it can be as a performer especially if you're the headlining act if you get up there and there's like an immediate issue um, yeah how quickly it has to turn around and how desperate it can seem when you're just like flailing about trying to fix a problem and how useful a stagehand or a sound tech can be in those moments it's like it's like a night and day experience for some people you know
1: yeah, so generally yeah. at PK, my job is is uh, is the stagehand side of things where I will, I try to make it as smooth as possible for any performer on stage so that when they show up, what they expect is there and exactly set up how they want it. And if any issues arrive, I'm there to, uh, to handle them. And it can be something as simple as, you know, the reverse switch on a CDJ is accidentally left on and they're like, oh. I don't know what's going on. And it, you know. <laughs> But it's it you know in the moment you're you're as a performer like it's a nerve wracking thing and no matter how big of an artist you are like I've seen True. Yeah. some very big names get on stage and they still have stage fright until they get you know three or four songs in and then yeah. you know they get in the groove uh, yeah. I don't think that really goes away I think you just get more confident as as you do it but that first couple seconds you're always kind of yeah. second guessing yourself so as a stage check you're trying to just take away that uh, that that uh, Hesitation of oh my god is is the equipment gonna work? It's like I'm there so that they can turn to me in any moment they have an issue and I can handle it and they can just focus on performing.
2: Awesome. So yeah,
1: and I'm uh, doing a little bit more front of house this last year where I've I've started to mix um, you know bands and DJs and stuff and it's been a learning experience. It's sound is a rabbit hole that you go down. The more you learn the more doors it opens and you're like oh my god i know nothing
0: it's true i think it's 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 always evolving too from what i understand so i'm sure you guys are much like doctors in the sense that you're always uh in a career where you have to learn something new every day basically
1: i think the second that you stop the second that you say that like i know what i'm doing is you know that's when somebody else is gonna you. (laughs) it's good though at least you're you're aware what do they call that? The uh, Dunning Kruger effect, I think it's called, where it's like you know, when you, there's people that are highly confident in mm-hmm. their abilities but they actually know nothing. Yeah. And then the more you know something, the less you're like, you think you're good at it, kind of.
3: Yeah, that is. The, the more you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Michelle, just, what do you? What I know is- nothing about audio. Um, yeah, I'm Michelle, and I do my speech will be shorter than Dan's, I think. Um, but I'm a lighting designer, operator, and technician. Um, so I studied at the University of Victoria and did specialized in design for a theater and film. Um, coming out of that, I moved to Calgary and started working as a stagehand for lighting, set, audio, anything. Um, and I accidentally came upon someone who worked at PK in manufacturing. Cool. And he said that I was a chill person and uh, that they were hiring. So he uh, gave me his email and I applied and I actually started in manufacturing, building all of the speakers uh, that PK does in Calgary and did not know that we had a production side of our business until I was about seven months into working there. Uh, nobody knew that I had a production background except for the guy who found me Um, and I kept hearing about Shambhala because it was about two weeks into into Shambhala starting up and all the text going out and finally I looked it up because I didn't know what it was and uh, (laughs) that's amazing yeah I realized that we had like this whole production side Uh, so I, I asked if I could go like I asked just the boss in manufacturing and he said that he wasn't really like the one to talk to so I just walked into Arlen's office one day um sat down and told him that I wanted to go work for Shambhala for the production value not because I knew what it was and I think that he kind of took pity on me because he didn't at the time know that I did production but I had worked with that for a long time so he had just said yes and like offered me a very minimal amount of money like to cover gas and food uh sent me out and um, we got a lighting contract for the food vendor sort of area um dropped off myself and I think like seven other guys in PK who all are very knowledgeable in audio audio and uh none of them knew what to do with the lighting and none of me and I was just standing there like you know should i like step up and say something but i was also very nervous and shy cuz it was all like all these big funny guys yep really know each other and there's like a camaraderie and sort of a bro friendship with all of them and so i was just kind of standing there like i don't i don't really want to say anything but i finally spoke up and took charge of it and then arlen came and spoke to me after that and was like where did that come from yeah I bet we started talking about the fact that I've you know studied this and love production and started doing all that and he pulled me off manufacturing that week and I started production with
0: that's so exciting that's a cool story I I love that Arlen was like yeah you can go to Shambhala you don't know what Shambhala is I mean I think uh Dan can agree I feel like Shambhala is like this western Canadian beacon and I can only imagine um for someone on the outside of this world uh to come in and find out about it what it must seem like from the outside <laughs> and then yeah. actually experiencing it for the first time like, like it's such a huge thing a huge animal from every perspective in terms of scale yeah but, uh, the first
1: the first time you go is definitely a blur yeah no matter no matter what you <laughs> expect going into it
0: yeah no kidding yeah. so you hadn't great. Ever heard of it ever even being in victoria and, w- and when you when you rolled up to that what were you thinking like when you saw the size of everything and what was getting built and all the people there, what was your first thought?
3: Um I was really excited. So I looked up the pictures and everything. Um, when i had when I had gotten there, everybody told me, like, obviously, all of the crew, all the volunteers, like everyone who's setting it up, they get there a couple of days earlier than you know when the gates open. Um And I remember it was our third day of setup and the day that the gates opened. And people started flooding through, and I was like, Who are all these people? And I had completely forgotten that, like, the people that were already there doing the setup were just, you know, staff and volunteers and people who were putting it together. I totally forgotten. And, and the guys were telling me, They're like, Yeah, we're expecting, like, you know, 7,000 people to walk into the gates today. And I was like, Oh my God, yeah, this hasn't even started yet. And yeah, it was, it was really exciting. That is cool. Dan, how many
0: how many people do you guess work on the like the build of Shambhala on average? What's your guess?
1: Uh, I think each stage kind of varies, but there's probably a crew of about thirty uh, twenty to thirty people on each stage. Mm-hmm. But I mean then there's, you know, there's the groundskeepers, there's the guys that, you know, clear out all the um, you know, bees hives and Skunks. We had skunks a skunk this year. year skunks, oh right? man! I, <laughs> yeah.
0: I saw some funny signs just to add to the the mud fest that was last year. Like the the signs about dangerous skunks were pretty funny. Yeah.
1: And then there's you know there's people that take care of the gardens and then food grew and all that. So there's just just the stages. I'd say there's probably about 150 to 200 mm-hmm. uh, on setup. Because um, that's lighting, video, yeah. sound, every stage um and then there's also you know there's pre pre-show medical is there too pre-show um mm-hmm. security uh minimal but they're they're there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then um staff kitchen and yeah. all the vendor vendors are there setting up so it, it depends on what your yeah. definition of how many people are how many people yeah you know. i mean
0: i guess i i was always surprised i think one year i was able to go in the day before everything started and, I, and like michelle i was floored at how many people were there. I think the vendors had already been set up and the shop was set up and I think artist liaison, the area behind the stages had all been set up. But you know, there was like close to a thousand people already there and for with volunteers and stuff. It's, so uh, I, yeah, you felt like you were part of a little city and then it just explodes with <laughs> people. It's so a, many more people. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's really neat being there the the day before gates open.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you there's kind of like that calm before the storm where yeah. it's it's very nice and peaceful and it's quiet and you know but you just know that, like, for the next six days, you're not going to sleep because it's just going to be constant noise. And <laughs> you know, but it's exciting just to, you know, you get that kind of butterflies in your stomach, kind of feeling.
0: Yeah. Are there when you're setting up for those shows? I know I've been around for sound check. Like, is it this big momentous occasion once everything's set up and every stage gets to finally test? Like, do they have a sequence testing with each stage, or how does that work? Like, I've never understood.
1: Uh, well, we kind of all. We kind of all, at the beginning, uh, it all comes in one truck, one semi-truck, right? So, and we have a a boneyard, it's called, where we just unload everything into that area. And every festival will kind of have a a zone where you can ditch the equipment all off of the truck. Um, And then it gets carted from there to each stage. And we kind of all go as one to unload everything, the main heavy pieces at each stage uh, together because it's a lot of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once everything's kind of at each stage and the really big stuff that needs multiple people is, is put together, then we break off into our individual stage groups, uh, of stage crews, I should say, of sound. And then, you know, you finish plugging everything in, making sure everything has power, um, And then you do a little bit of a line check of uh, white noise at first. Just sounds like, you know, just to make sure everything has signal and uh, there's no issues on that end. And then usually it depends on the time because and the festival. Uh, Some festivals don't like you making noise at certain hours. Uh, It also depends on how far along in the setup you are. Sometimes you don't have a choice and you have to do soundtrack at three in the morning on the day before the show starts and everyone's trying to get a good sleep but you're (laughs) like well we kind of have to make noise and you know we have to do full volume check um if we want it to be tuned to full volume
2: yeah
1: um you know you can on certain shows you can get away with it where you you know if you're on tour and stuff you don't have a chance to to do check before doors so you just get it set up the show starts and you tune it as you go Mm But yeah, like uh, there's, Go ahead.
3: there's no real moment of like, except the only time I've had it was like at Shambhala or base Coast, where it's like you take, you know, everything's set up and then we're doing sound check and everybody stops their work and like comes and listens to it. Right. There's not really like at only really at Shambhala because it's like this has taken so long and everyone really wants to be at. The sound check, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes. But sense. on smaller shows, it's usually like for the audio guy. As soon as it's done, he'll run through and and do that. And for lighting, like there's no moment where everyone's like, okay, stop working and let's you know put up like a mini show.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's just yeah. like you're going through while the whole setup is happening.
0: Is it true that they do – so you'd set up the sound system first and then the lighting, or is it all happening together all at the same time?
1: It depends on the show, but, uh, you know, at, at Chamblain, there's a whole separate lighting crew mm-hmm. um, that each stage has. So, like, uh, Pagoda is James Calder, Ripley, and Barry was this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Village is Curtis uh, Wilkinson and Rory Lasers, and I know I'm forgetting more. Um,
2: That's okay. So, um,
1: but yeah, yeah there, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of individual lighting crews for each stage. Um, and they'll, they'll do their, their focus on their own setup, right? They, you know, very rarely will somebody say like, Oh, come, come give us a hand with this. You know, if, if they need it for sure, like, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to kind of be self-sufficient, um, yeah. in terms of what your, whatever equipment you bought you brought is the, the equipment you set up. Right. And it's, but.
3: The lighting crew is usually always there earlier.
1: It does take like, longer to do lighting. It
3: takes longer to do lighting Interesting. for setup than it does for um, audio. So usually the lighting crew will already be there when the audio crew comes in.
0: That kind of makes sense to me, even just on the scale of AIMCon. I remember you you folks were there forever setting up. The, just the truss for that big screen took like half the night. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's the actual lighting itself, but then all the structures you have to build to support it. How does that, um, and then probably millions and millions of feet of cabling, right?
1: A lot yeah. of cable. A you get cable. very familiar with wrapping cable. If you can't wrap a cable properly after the first two gigs of doing shows, <laughs> it's not cut out for you.
0: Yeah. You got to get a new job. I had, uh, Arlen show me how to wrap cables one time. I think I do it right. But so now, when I am at versions or something very simple where we're just wrapping a few cables, I actually get angry when people try to help me. Oh yeah, because
1: they're doing the
0: arm—they're doing the arm thing—and you're like, "That's not—that's not right." So bad. You no,
1: know, because at, at the end of the day, all that stuff has to come back to our shop, mm-hmm. where it has to go back on the shelf and get scanned in, so that we make sure nothing got missed, or yeah. lost, or, or broken. And you know, our shop guy—I've been the shop guy before mm-hmm. um, for a brief period of time, and I know how it's a very thankless job it's probably one of the most important jobs of any production company is the guy that's in the shop that has to take care of all the gear make sure that all the stuff is clean make sure it's all tested make sure it's all organized because you know when a big show comes out like Shambhala, you know you're packing five stages down or four stages down at once you know and that's all that's a lot normally if it's just one stage you're like okay that's fine i can you know, go through when it's four stages at the same time and you're also having another festival come in that you have to now flop to Shambhala, it becomes a really big nightmare. So if you have a crew that, you know, on the load out, they're properly wrapping cables and putting things away so that it just saves that extra few seconds every so often that all adds up to, you know, an hour or more saved for a shop guy.
0: Tell me about what it's like in the summer for PK because it's. I can only imagine, I mean, as a touring DJ, I know what it's like to go from show to show, just myself, driving myself to perform. But in these tight timelines where you've got the teardown time, the setup time as buffers on either end, and you're going week back to back weekends for what, twelve weeks. You have usually a festival every weekend, probably starting well, not this year, but typically it's starting in June. Is it earlier is it an earlier season in BC or does it start
1: typically in June? I think it starts yeah. Mid-June kind of is when some of them starts, but I mean, it depends like some of our guys go down into the States and they're doing shows like lightning, the bottle, and ADC, mm-hmm. which would have been, um, in April this year, April, May this year. Yeah. Um, but obviously they're postponed for the time being. Um, but you know, for me it's usually Canada day is kind of the start of like the madness. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be Canada day. I think last year I did a big corporate thing. I don't know if you were on that Michelle, the, um, uh, Aurora uh, Cannabis, Ooh. I think. Yes. Yeah, that was a big um, one. That was right after yeah. Canada Day. So it was like, it was uh, Canada Day celebrations. Then we had a corporate thing and then Stampede starts up, which PK has been getting more heavily involved with Calgary Stampede. Well,
0: straight
1: to Base uh, coast. I wasn't, I, w- I, did, I didn't do uh, Stampede. We had a separate crew on that, but I did uh, Astral Harvest and then Straight to Base Coast. And oh, then wow. Chasing Summer, Chambalas used to be Motion Ocean in there as well and um, Fozzie Fest and Wicked Woods. Yeah. And...
0: and oh my gosh. They're Borealis as well now.
1: Yeah. So, like, it's yeah. it, it spread out. Not, you know, you don't do every single one, but you usually get put on... Well, it depends on who you are, really. It depends on what your skill set is and um, how long you've been there and that kind of... Because there's basically a call list of techs and the more seniority you have and you know skill set you have the higher up the list you go and you're more likely to get called for a show uh otherwise they if you're not available they'll they'll just bump down the list until they find something but there's some weekends where we have so many shows going on that we don't even have enough text to do all the shows efficiently
0: yeah what um, about, what about supplies and sound system stuff like you know that's
1: another thing. i mean there's there's other weekends where we have literally every piece of gear Rented out. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've been in your and, warehouse before where there was nothing on the shelf. I was like, oh, I yeah. think it was in July. <laughs> I think I went there. For yeah. a meeting in July. It's I like was blown away by you that. You
1: have
3: to, uh, like, this year we had at from Shambhala, because, like, we also do a lot of shows down in the States as well during all of the festivals that Dan just mentioned in Canada. So, a lot of our gear comes up from the US tours and comes up for us during our biggest season and then on site when we're like packing down a show it'll pack into three different trucks to go to three different places and then the crew will split up from there
0: interesting is there a guy in the PK team that just does logistics like organizing where everything goes
1: uh it kind of depends. depends i think Brian yeah. and Big B and and Arlen kind of coordinate that Brian more does the well i guess Arlen does the states as well now yeah, but I think between Big B and and Arlen, uh, they probably Frank handle that. Now. And Frank, yeah, and Frank too. <clears throat>
0: um, that's that's incredible. Just thinking about even just the XLR cables, every single one of them has a serial number, right?
1: Every <laughs> single one. And just
0: I, I try to imagine what your brain would have to be like to know. And that I mean, we do in, we, in inventory,
1: right? Well, we do inventory two or three times a year, mm-hmm. um, just to just to keep track of everything. And it's amazing how much stuff. Uh, doesn't make it back Yeah.
2: Exactly. as much as you
1: try as much as you try you know you you get you try and get it all but you know cables break because um, you know, at the end of the day produ- live show production like especially when it's an outdoor festival your gear yeah. takes a beating
0: yeah what is it and like it does not survive like I've seen What's the that? speakers come back from Shambhala I'm sure last year they were <laughs> extra gross but also from a place like Burning Man where like what kind of damage does that do on gear? Like what what does it look like? A lot.
1: Of <laughs> it depends. There's,
3: it's funny because there's there's a lot of um, yelling in the shop and a lot of just like jokes that that go around. There's a lot of confetti on all of our speakers. Yeah. Every yeah. confetti of sucks. Confetti. Um, the worst is probably graffiti on grills. Oh, yeah. like people will decide that they want to tag on a pk grill so that it's going to be there you know all the time and so they'll take um like silver or gold sharpie pens and they'll just tag whatever they want on our grills and it's always so frustrating because we can't just wash that off Mm -hmm. right and that costs more money every single year so we actually have to take the whole grill off and put a new one on because we're not going to put them out when they're tagged so there's really no point in you tagging our speakers because it's not going to be there forever. We're just going to take it off. Um, but that's probably day, some of just, the most
1: frustrating. It's just vandalism at the end of the day. Yeah, really. You
0: know? Do you have you ever kicked it's someone? A little out little disrespectful. And someone for doing something like that.
1: I've caught someone putting a sticker on, and I've kind of said, "Hey, like, don't put a sticker on," because again, like, if <laughs> if these shows are back to back to back, and that has to go out to the next show, you know, the client doesn't want to see. Yeah. Night, like, you know, they That's don't want to see stuff on the, on the, whatever speakers. random
3: company. Yeah.
1: And, you know, that that goes for gum too. I mean, it's oh, a little God. different in, in, uh, in Canada. A lot of these festivals, you know, we don't have, um, guardrails and they're, um, right at the front. That's right. You know, with a gap, a lot of the bigger festivals in the States, they, you know, they'll have those, um, crowd barriers set up, um, which they won't even be able to touch the speakers at that point where, but, you know, Everybody at Shambhala and all these festivals, we love humping the speakers and getting up close enough that you can lean <laughs> against them and stuff. And it has its benefits and its the, drawbacks.
3: Yeah. Do you think some we'll of the a subs? Oh, sorry. Some mm-hmm. of the subs that have like a hole in them. What are they? The gravities? Yeah. People will like think that they're a shelf.
0: Yes, I've seen people yeah. put coats There's in the
3: there. opening in them, and they'll put their coats and their bags and everything and like water bottles in there. Some people will literally put themselves in those holes. <laughs> And it's like, like, just like small people, they'll just like tuck themselves in there and you're like, oh, why I mean, are you doing this?
1: They, I think it is a testament to the engineering that like, they can handle a, a beating. Yeah.
0: They can yeah. get, sure.
1: you know, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, these are speakers that are worth more than $10,000. A piece, right? Um, like
0: little that,
1: yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. that people are not being very nice with. So, no kidding. but do you, they do take a beating.
0: Do you think there would be a benefit? Kicking. Having the guardrails at festivals, like what would that look like? How would that impact the vibe or like the? I
1: I think people would be very upset at a place like Shambhala for yeah. that, um, but it it's par for the norm at, at almost every other festival. I mean, chasing Summer, for example, in Calgary is one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or Bomb Fest in Edmonton, or any any indoor rave. There's there's a guardrail.
0: Any big one, yeah. I mean, I guess having the having no rails there is more like a club i suppose it's designed yeah. like it's in a club setting but i can see how that could become costly time after time if you're coming home with like graffitied speakers and stuff that's been stuffed into the horn or whatever you know there could be any sort of damage that could happen well another reason is uh
1: <laughs> you know it keeps people from um uh, jumping on stage which you know does happen and has I'm... it has happened i've seen i've seen it happen
0: yeah uh, I- the Village is more of a perch now, is it? It's harder for people to get up it,
1: there, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. So, at Shambhala, it is a little more difficult to get onto stages because we have so many speakers that it's literally 10 yeah. feet tall, so <laughs> it's a little harder to climb up. But you know, it's still people still like to climb it. I mean, you look at older photos of Shambhala from like you know 2012 and earlier, yeah. everyone's just standing on everything, on the
0: speakers on everything. Yeah, it was pretty like wild westy
1: yeah and you know there i think that that got kiboshed because you know the safety implications of all that so yeah, it, i mean he, at the end of the day the uh, the safety comes first on everything and if 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 it came down that it was determined that it wasn't safe for people to be physically close to them like that then
2: yeah
1: then it would probably be
0: that real time uh, On the podcast that I had Arlen come in and chat with me, we talked just a bit about um, the changes in safety measures that have been implemented in the last decade or so. But, you know, what what are some of the things that you've seen that you think are great? I mean, my worst nightmare in life is having a speaker fall on me. I've seen so many sketchy setups in my days in the last 20 years, just like speaker stacks that weren't, you know, tied down. You, You know, you can just you can do the measurement by putting your drink on a sub. just watch it (laughs) you know it just it slowly vibrates off and falls on the ground i mean i was always anxious about uh speakers stacks specifically about how they're how structurally sound they were and then when line arrays came about and things were you know up in the sky yeah yeah i started to feel even more anxious because i was like well what if that isn't structurally sound what's your
3: take on that i mean we make sure like you know we have a really good team of people who are who know how to rig and usually like if you're if you're bringing up a line array it's on the house basically like beams up in the roof that are all steel um and that have all been weighted to hold a certain amount of weight and so i've never been worried about like I would find that I'm more okay with line array being hung than some lighting towers.
2: Sure. Like
3: sense. for me, like I'm not saying that it could never potentially happen that the line array comes down. Um, it depends on who the team is and if someone screwed up. Or if but there's a tornado.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but uh I've some crazy videos online of like wind and weather that
3: just yeah, terrifying. Yeah. yeah but sometimes with lighting towers like people don't put it's not necessarily shows that i've worked on but if i work as a with a crew that's new and they're outside sometimes they don't put enough weight on the base of their tower and then there's too many like lights or it's like going too tall and they don't really think about the fact that that tower is going to tip over
1: right
3: I mean, yeah, that, comes, you know,
1: yeah, that all comes down to you know proper training, um, you mm-hmm. know a company has to put in when they hire people, they need to make sure that they're competent enough to know those types of things, and you know we've been doing a lot more training at p k the last year on certain things, like we actually right before the whole shutdown happened, we did a rigging course, um, you know, which if you've been working as I have like the last five years, you know, you've been around rigging, you're familiar with it, but there was still lots to learn. There's always more to learn and there's always good stuff to be refreshed on, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's definitely in terms of things I've seen change. I think it's been good to, there's been a lot more, not so much in, in these like Bush raves and stuff, but the bigger it's been a lot more priority on um, getting proper um, drawings for, um for what we're setting up and and so that uh there's like an engineer stamp on it all right so it's uh, actually so they know the weighting
0: it's been des- it's by design um yeah there's a system there is a system, a system designer <laughs> yeah there's, yeah
1: typically there's a system designer that uh that uh will design the show um and then they have it they put it in certain software to that actually calculates the weight limits Wow, Uh, of everything and you can put down to like it's down to the shackle even like you add cable and shackle and that adds more weight and and this software can predict that sort of stuff right
0: that's amazing that's
3: amazing yeah so Vectorworks does that so that's one of the programs that I use for lighting and stage design and like Vectorworks has a bunch of different sort of um, kind of subcategories for what you can use like there's Vectorworks Spotlight which is good for people in entertainment and then there's Vectorworks like Landscape for people who are like landscape architects and everything like that. And so depending on what sort of programming you need um but yeah you can like put in like presets to the weight of what everything is and it'll help you calculate all of the rigging that you need which is really good.
0: So this is really cool to talk about all these little details because i think when people think about a sound tech or like a sound man at a club i think they generally think that those guys just stand around (laughs) and make things sound good but what i've come to learn just uh through organizing AIMCON with with pk and the team at pk is that you know there's so much more that goes into this from what you're talking about here which is literally engineering and and safety and by design um critical thinking to like harm prevention, to uh, all the inventory elements and then planning, it's it's quite an intense job. And, and so the market seems like it's mostly made up of contract workers, is that right?
2: Uh,
3: uh, yes depends. and no. Yeah. no. So like Dan, actually Dan and I aren't contractors, we're employees with right. PK. I'm only an employee because I started in manufacturing. So I had to be an employee there because I was full time, and then they just didn't take me off because there was no point. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of our guys are considered contractors, yes. Yeah.
1: And there's benefits and drawbacks to both. I mean, mm-hmm. um, we get taxes taken off and um, benefits potentially. Mm-hmm. I have depends on I mean, how no i don't either but i had the i have the option if i wanted to i could Mm -hmm. uh, pay into benefits and whatnot uh i didn't i get vacation time but it's just paid out every check so Mm -hmm. um but with the contractor you can set your own rate depending on your depending on your demand right so and your skill set um and so there's some guys who but
3: but you you can also set your own rates Dan.
1: Yes, but I, what I mean is like show to show. So like if show I got rates. approached to do a show, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the scale of the show, I can say, oh, I'm I'm going to charge this. Whereas yeah, you like know for, EDC, for me,
0: I'm going to charge this much money. But to do this club thing, I'm going to charge this much. Depending for on... for me,
1: it's more. It's more like, it's more yeah. like uh, sometimes it depends on the show. But it's you know it's a, either an hourly rate, uh, a, sh- a day rate, or a show rate. So right. something like Chambelot, you get you just get a. Uh, for me, it's just a, a flat rate for the entire show. Right. And that also has its benefits and drawbacks because, you know, if the show's easy, um, you know, you end up making positive money that you've done hourly. Or the opposite is, you know, it'll be very, very long and very hard and you don't end up making a lot of money. And, you know, when it comes to these, uh, you know, Western... Uh, no, not just Western Canada shows, but, you know, the hours that we put into them, it's not mm-hmm. like we're making a lot of money doing it.
0: No, it is a, like a labor of love almost, right? Which, exactly. It is, legend is, has it that that's kind of what these are for everybody. It is.
1: Which is not always the best thing at the end of the day. You know, you want to you want to get what your your work, your your hours you put into it. You want to make sure that you're getting reimbursed for that sure. e- efficiently. But it's definitely... You know, would I rather go work at some other job and and not be stoked to be there every time I do it?
3: And the trade-off is kind of
1: corporate.
3: So if we're doing corporate events, it'll be an easier event and we'll make more money because there's more money with big corporations that put on their galas and their Christmas parties and stuff like that and fundraisers, yeah, Um, versus a bush rave. Which Where? probably
0: has its benefits though, because you're being challenged constantly. Like, yeah. I, I know I've worked as a DJ in corporate events, and it's like, this is great money, but I want to rip my eyes out because this actual yep. work sucks. <laughs> like, it's yeah. ripping out your soul. Yeah. Um, and
3: so I think like balancing between the two is if you love the rave and you love that sort of scene, balancing and doing some corporate stuff helps you be able to sustain that lifestyle. Mm-hmm.
0: what would be your advice for someone that wanted to get into working as a tech for PK? Because I know I meet lots of little ravers that are like, I want to work for PK. (laughs) Like that's their dream. You know, Calgary has this cool thing. PK is this cool thing that we have. We're lucky to have it. We're lucky to have it be not just a production company, but like there's manufacturing, there's also like office, you know, workers there. Um, It's a cool career and lots of people want to get involved always. I'm sure you get that question a lot. Um, What would
2: be your advice? (laughs)
3: it's it's funny because we get that question a lot and we actually all as a group have talked about this subject so much about people coming up and being like at every show like I want to work for PK how do I do it and we actually I mean Dan can attest to this I guess is we have a lot of laughs about um, people who do that and people who come up it's not like a bad thing to show that you want to work with us but it's does take a very weird sort of person to decide that they want to work with us? Um,
1: yeah,
3: but, I think people uh, see only
1: the glory moments. You know, they, exactly. they only see the show side of things, where you know the show's going on and it's amazing, and we're standing in front of this huge sound system and massive stage with lights and, and visuals, and they're like, they're yeah. like, "Wow, you get to do this every day," and it's like, "Yes, but,
0: <laughs> but you're no. not seeing the like you day know,
1: nine. Just the only rapidly. crap not crap but you know fast food on the way to and from the gigs because you don't have time to go grocery shopping and pre and uh, prep yeah. meals you know barely any sleep flipping your hours yeah. constantly like
2: yeah
1: you're you're up until six and you're up until six in the morning and then you gotta wake up at 10 a.m again just to mm-hmm. leave your hotel or whatever you know it's a very grueling lifestyle and, and it takes a yeah. toll on a lot of a lot of techs so you look at a lot of the older techs in the industry and a lot of them are they have this um, this disdain I guess for for that, their job like they really, they, yeah, they,
2: disdain is a word.
0: they
1: do it that but they don't enjoy it anymore and I think it's just because you know for years and years it, it just beats the crap out of you and it's hard to find it's hard to get excited at I think for a lot of these older techs uh, well, especially even, with uh, you know the way the music landscape has changed from when they were um, younger
3: like it's it's not just older texts too though because like on one of after I did Shambhala last year for the first time I went to Motion Notion and then I went to fozzy Fest and at Fozzie Fest I worked for another company not PK um, and I had I was put on as the lighting designer and lead and I was comfortable with working in the theater space because I'd done that a bunch but this was like the first show that I had to lead other people to do lighting and I was there you know three days prior to everyone arriving and I was so frustrated like everything was breaking down I was pulling cases that are you know 100 150 pounds through sand like we have wheels but we're pulling through sand and we're pulling through mud and we're pulling yeah. through gravel like most of the time the wheels on the cases don't work for where we are and so you're basically and then the sand and the gravel add like extra weight and extra pull to that so i was
1: and then the rain working kicks in and,
3: and the rain and i was having the day before gates opened. this was at Fuzzy fest i had a total like breakdown I was losing it I had worked I think and I this happened at Wicked Woods this year too where a lot of my lighting equipment was broken but because because I work with PK Sound I'm usually the only lighting person on site if Dan isn't there to help me troubleshoot so I have to troubleshoot a lot of the time by myself and it gets really frustrating that makes me work longer hours but I had like a a full breakdown and then the show started and it was the first night of the show and I was really grumpy and I was really tired and my body was sore and it, it I the vision that I had wanted wasn't producing and then it started raining and then I had to cover the lights that I had actually been able to put up oh god I wasn't able to use them and I was just like oh my god everything was like going wrong at this show um thankfully I had Good friends there, and they were just like making me laugh and giving me some drinks every once in a while. But someone came up to me who was just like, uh, you know, a party goer. They were there for the first night, they were really excited, and I was just like, I didn't want to talk to anybody, I didn't want to look to anybody. And they just turned to me and they said, Why are you so grumpy? Oh, and they no. were like, and then they started like accusing me. They were like, You should be so much happier, like, you're in this great face it's so good to be here like there's no need to be grumpy and to be rude and i was just like (laughs) honestly i was like i'm gonna punch you no kidding (laughs) i've had that a few times i've had that a few times where people when we're in the pk shirt they'll come up and literally ask us why are the pk crew always so grumpy Mm. and you're like we're working in the sun like hot hot days in the sun We're working in sand. We can't like, you know. We've been working for so long. The staff kitchens, when we get there, we're getting the same amount of food as like, like the staff kitchens are always like, yeah. And I understand. They're like, we want. We're feeding tons of people, so we're giving you like tiny portions, and we are starving. Yeah, you're burning. You're burning like so
0: much energy. Way more calories. Calories lugging boxes through sand. I can only imagine. I mean, yeah, that's. That's so, so
3: rude. <laughs> we'll just ask us why we're grumpy wow. and we'll just stare at them and be like, you have I've no been idea. here for five days. <laughs> like, get out of my face.
0: Yeah. It, it kind of transcends the like, I'm grateful to be here moment because you're like, you have no yeah. idea what it goes into creating this for you guys. And Leave so, us the yeah. hell
2: alone.
3: <laughs> so the, but, I guess that the advice there is like, make sure that you want to suffer through your job. Yeah. <laughs> if you want this job.
1: Yeah. Like those those no, moments where we where, when we do the soundtrack and everyone gathers around, it's more yeah. of a celebratory. Yeah. Holy shit, we made it through the first half.
0: Yeah. Now the show happens. That's the other. And half.
1: then the teardown. You know. Yeah. Well, what would you say but, is
0: worse, teardown or setup? But like, I know as a DJ and also someone like I do AIMCON and I'm there from the beginning to the end. And teardown is while it's always faster, I am yeah. exhausted mentally. Exactly. I have very little patience left, and I don't. Want anyone, it's really hard to. I find when you're working on a production team at the very end of it, it's really hard to be a good leader and like tell people what needs to happen in a nice way and maintain like civility. You know, who's good at that, I feel, is Arlen. Arlen's great at just like being calm as a cucumber, although I've never had him <laughs> as my boss, but I've seen him uh, do lots um, of stuff over the years. Is he calm as a cucumber? You don't have to say anything. I guess he's your boss.
1: He has his moments. <laughs>
3: I was like I don't know how to answer this No like I I love him I love working for him Um, I think that we have a good relationship There have been moments
1: I mean I think everybody Uh, You can kind of see You can kind of see when people get to a point Where you know they they need to go eat They need to go sleep They need to go shower
0: Do you guys often have to tell each other It's time for you to eat now Oh Michelle needs to eat For
1: For sure there's a few people on our crew That are definitely (laughs) like that (laughs)
0: Um, my business business partner, Andrew Williams, who does AIMCON with me, we both have a really similar threshold for that. So he will be like, okay. And he'll put his hand over a memo. He'll be like, it's time for you to eat. You have to eat now. And he's really similar, but he, he expresses it a different way. I get really grumpy and start being like persnickety, but he actually just gets this look on his face. Like, And he's so visually, obviously needs to eat. And, uh, yeah, but we both, I mean,
1: I think that's the thing with, with, you know, people that work, I don't want to say a normal job because it's kind of like putting down other people's jobs, but you know, that they're, let's say you work an office job. Um, you know, you, you leave for work at the same time every day. You get to work at the same time every day. You say, you see the same people every time Mm -hmm. you take the same breaks. Um, you know, yeah, your workload goes up and down but it's more or less the same environment every time. And you are only working generally eight hours a day Mm -hmm. Um, with, you know, production and stuff. You kind of work in spurts and those spurts can be very long at times where, because the show has got to happen. Yeah. It's got to happen. As long as it happens in a safe manner, that's all that at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Um, I I feel like people
0: that are attracted to this type of job or this industry are also people that, will sacrifice eating or For you sure. know, personal self-care in order to get the job done. I know I've done that myself several times and you make those compromises just to get reach those deadlines and we're always working together to make sure it happens. But you know what? Doing that week out weekend uh, has got to have its impact. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it definitely... It, when for me myself I know when I get very absorbed in any sort of work it doesn't matter if it's just production work but I definitely put off self-care and uh, hunger and whatever till they get to the point where I'm you know lucid essentially and I'm like holy shit I, I gotta go do something which is not healthy but you know it it's a it's a balance of trying to to uh, not get into that behavior and also being productive enough that because your your timelines to get some of these shows set up and ready to go are are not very um but, forgiving at times
3: yeah, yeah and that's like absolutely I agree with what Dan said and those are the moments where when we you know when we commented on Arlen has his moments of being cool as a cucumber and then not
2: mm-hmm. but
3: you know when um Donnie or Frank or Arlen or Big B or any of those guys are on site with us they're also really good at because they're not necessarily um you know they do some of the physical work and they do help us but they're not necessarily doing as much so they're really good at looking at their crew and being like "Ooh, okay I can notice now that a lot of people haven't taken a break and they're, you know, they'll order us pizza and they'll order us food. And then so much they'll pizza. sit down and be like, yeah, so much pizza. They'll sit down and be like, okay, everybody, like, you need to take a break now and you need to eat. Um, so if we're not, you know, watching ourselves and making sure that we're eating enough, you know, they're always there as a support too, which
1: is helpful. But I mean, for most people, a lunch break is, you know, half hour to an hour long. Mm-hmm. You know, most Ours lunch is breaks for us,
0: run. Yeah, And, you
1: know, there's definitely a lot of people that when they do get hired on in the past where, you know, you can tell right away that they're not cut out for this because mm-hmm. they'll get a few hours in and, and they're not used to just go, 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 hustle, hustle, go, hustle, go. Hustle. And then they only get a tiny little break. And it's not that they, it's not that we like want to go back to work. It's just that, you know, the sooner we get this shit done, mm-hmm. then we can take an even longer break, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. Like None of us are mad that we don't get break none of us get upset if we bring a new crew member on and within two hours they're like when's my break
2: Hmm. you're just
3: kind of like what oh (laughs) like a lot of our crew members don't have that mentality we don't ask for a break like if I get hungry nobody questions it I walk off for five minutes eat a granola bar have a sip of water and I come back
2: right but it's
3: not like okay we're going and grabbing a coffee getting a sandwich but yeah I find that most of the crew members if they're new as soon as they ask when the break is they usually don't make it very long (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) what about other self-care stuff i know dan last year you got um refocused on your fitness and well-being like what what have you noticed what was some what were what was the moment for you where you were like i need to do something differently to make this more functional for myself for your mental health for your well-being uh
1: i just had like back pain a lot And I, I mean, I'm 31 now, and I was like, I'm 30. I'm not old. I shouldn't. I mean, yeah, we do a lot of, we do a lot of lifting, but like, I shouldn't feel this broken. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that was, you know, due to not proper nutrition, not having certain muscle groups built up, so that my back was then taking more of the workload, right? Which then left led to more strain. You know, I bought a new bed because I wanted to be able to have the hours that I do get to sleep in my own bed. to get a, a, you know, a good comfortable sleep would not hurt my back as well, mm-hmm. which has been amazing. Um, you know, cause yeah, when I'm you're- I bought
3: this mattress a few
1: times. <laughs> I, yeah, I bought a Casper, it's not, been, not that amazing, but it was still was a new mattress that, that uh, has helped a lot with waking up in the morning and not feeling sore. And you know, yeah, just, just uh, eating better. Yeah. I can't say I'm amazing at it, but I'm eating better. Um,
2: yeah,
0: that's it. That's it. What about you, Michelle? Do you have any like self care routines <clears throat> that you implement the moment you're home from a tour? Like, do you just do a big zen out? Or because I know some people come home from tour and they're like, I'm diving into my yoga class, or I'm getting pampered at the spa. Like, I I've, for DJ friends of mine, they all have different things that they do to make sure that they stay yeah. level headed. But what about you?
3: Um, I. I love stretching, uh, so like yoga, big into that. And like I, I do my workouts and stuff. But when I'm on site for a long day, usually my biggest thing is is stretching while I work. And I've had comments from some of my coworkers telling me that it's really weird sometimes <laughs> that I start stretching, <laughs> and they're like, "You kind of stretch at the most awkward." moment, and uh, I didn't really ever think anything of it, but it's just like uh, if we're standing around in a circle and like starting the day or midday and we're kind of just like everyone's talking about what are the next steps, I always will just like start my just like start some stretching and just like limber up the body um and so we're always like standing in a circle, and I'll just like start lunging like into the circle and like and doing all the stretches, and until someone commented on it, I was like. I never really thought of that, but it brings me. It just makes my body feel a little bit because, like, your muscles get tight throughout the day. Absolutely, and, and your so just feet like, and your feet. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah proper so footwear is So you just like do cute. a back bend, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, my back crack! <laughs> that feels way better." And it kind of sets me up a little more for the day. But then, yeah, my feet at the end of the day, I have a bees coconut foot scrub, mm. and at the end of the day. I will take off my boots, sit at my camp and massage my feet. Mm-hmm. Just be, like my feet for me are the most important parts. I'm on them all day. Um, so that's usually my routine. Um,
1: it's a very physically demanding job
3: yeah. for
1: anybody. Like it, it's the combination of but, hours, not eating, yeah. pro- not eating enough. Even if there's food provided, it's mm-hmm. still not, you know, great food
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, compared to what you, you would normally have. Stronger. Yeah
3: own gym like i've gotten stronger within a year of working there
0: yeah i bet i believe it those trust yeah. that stuff is heavy even those box even a dj case like a cdj metal case those things are freaking yeah. heavy <laughs> well, a, PK,
1: a PK sub is 230 pounds
3: yeah but, God. and when we do corporate stuff dan has been in some weird situations with me where there'll be like security guards or like people who will watch me lift heavy equipment and they'll ask me if I want help Mm -hmm. and it's it's been a thing for me a few times where I'm just like no and then I'll like a year ago yeah I would have needed some help but now I'm like no like I'll just toss that by myself and that's awesome I think there's the stigma of it of me being a female right but um yeah definitely get stronger it's your own personal gym
0: being a woman in the pk team are you one of the only female techs in the team or are you the only or is there more now
3: uh i am the only pk female tech mm-hmm. there was uh there's a girl who helped us at shambala m m or m- emmy. emmy emmy uh she helped us this year she was from berlin
2: yep
3: yeah well, very capable of sound uh, tech yeah, very capable sound tech. It was really awesome to have her on the team, uh, but that was the one and only show that she worked <laughs> with us this year, so yes, Is I it? am the only girl.
0: So how does that um, make you feel? like? I mean, I've worked with the PK team. There are a lot of great guys, but yeah, there are a lot of big guys. They're broing down. It's definitely got its specific culture. Um, I can just picture you in a circle doing your stretches. Like, does any do any of your like more feminine habits rub off on some of these guys? Like, you, you know, taking food breaks and wanting to do stretches. Is that?
1: I bought some of Michelle's lotion.
3: Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a side hustle. Um, I've been called mom yep. on site. Uh, just like, I don't know for what reason. I don't necessarily know that I have any specific, like, female habits that rub off on the guys. <laughs> I've been, um, Kevin asks me a lot about my hair. Okay.
1: He's got long <laughs> hair. <laughs> he's
0: like, how can I make my luscious locks look as good yeah, as yours?
3: Because well, he has curly hair as well. <laughs> and so he's a, he'll always comment and be like, why does your hair still look good after five days in the bush?" He's yeah. like, what are you doing that I'm not? I don't know, I'm not really sure. Um, at first, like when I first started out working with the PK crew, there was um, some definite holding back on some of the comments and jokes that they'll just generally make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because when guys are with guys, they'll make a little bit more of a crude commentary.
1: So when I oh, first
3: started, uh, I could just like feel that that was. Holding back, they don't do it anymore though, um, <laughs> which I'm fine with because I think that my humor is on par with theirs. Totally. Um, but there, it was really with PK that I had any issues. Like I work for, I freelance with a bunch of other companies, um, and I mean there definitely is a stigma of, especially being a young girl or a younger girl coming in with a new crew. And it just being like old guys and I'll get stared at a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I will get, I will get crew members and crew leads who decide to like give me tasks that I don't have to lift anything. And it's more of a like not non-physically taxing work. Um, So I've had issues with that before with the guys at PK. When I first started, they definitely put me on tasks that, were a little more minimal or the guys like because I wasn't as strong as I am now that I've had to lift things constantly um I would have guys just like come and grab speakers out of my hands just so that like, oh, were, that's like nice. I it wasn't <laughs> like I was struggling but they were like no no you shouldn't like have to lift this and I but there's also like a frustration for me like I'm I can be very hard on myself and I am very competitive
2: mm-hmm.
3: so I always get to site and I feel, like, I feel like my personality is more aggressive when I first meet a crew of guys because I'm like, I want to prove myself yeah, really badly to them. Um, and so I did have that when I first started working with the guys at PK. And it, I think that it did help that I spoke up like with the lighting side of things when Absolutely. we were on site. Um, now I have no issues. They very much
1: call me a part of of us one of us us. yeah that's so great i mean
0: that's i think that drive that competitiveness and that needing to prove ourselves as women in these kind of like male dominated arenas is part of how we get accepted though in the end you know i think Mm -hmm. i think always will speak for itself which i think is good
1: it's Um, definitely uh uh still a challenge i know we we had a previous uh female audio tech um who was a front of house engineer, and you know she would set up on some shows, and the bands or rappers or whatever would come up and be like, "Oh, wh- when's the sound tech getting here?"
2: Oh, and yeah. she's like,
1: "I'm the sound tech," and they're like, yeah. "Okay, but like, when's like the actual guy getting here?" You know? Yeah,
2: yeah like That
1: okay. sort of yeah. type of thing, and it's like you know, other than physical um, challenges that that a female body might have compared <laughs> to a male body, there's really no nothing to hold you back from being a competent lighting designer or an audio tech everyone has the same ears everyone has the same eyes yeah
2: um yeah there's
0: there's know. um even so i i wish i had looked this up before this call but um there's some initiatives now to sort of promote more women coming into that field i've noticed mm-hmm. uh all over the world there's like
3: grants
0: grants and stuff
3: which apply is, for grants and stuff
0: which is really cool. which is
3: like it's cool but it also frustrates
2: <laughs> yeah <I hear>
3: that. <laughs> I'm like good but if we are getting grants just because of our sexuality like that's the equality thing like guys should be getting grants if they want to be in the industry too like it's do you think ask, do you it's think it's that catchy. the
0: grants act more of a like an invitation to try it like I think maybe I think the numbers are obvious. You don't see that many women just like jumping on like, I want to be a sound tech. It seems hard right away. Like seems hard, not in the sense of what it is. It seems hard to jump into a male dominated arena. I think for young girls, for example, that might be, you know, a little bit intimidating or perhaps um, scary or just not worth it. You know, especially if, if you're a, say you're yeah. a girl in the club scene and you see what Sound techs have to endure. They might be turned off, but you know, maybe a grant program or just even some reveal about what it actually is, what the job actually is—the technical side of it, the art side of it—would um, make it feeling yeah. for women to come on board. And it's
3: also like, can, it, it, I mean, it also is positive because it connects you to a community of other females, and mm-hmm. you can talk to people who are having the same struggles as you. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, I've spoken to Dan. Many times of just of having um, moments of being very insecure um, on job sites and very insecure in like I know that the guys always do say that I'm one of them, but I'll still have moments where I'm like I'll feel slightly not part of that. Just outside um, of it,
2: yeah,
3: yeah, and so, um, yeah, having I definitely when i do see a girl on site like there is that just sort of head nod and and bonding um towards us so i still do think that that it's um a great program and that women will benefit from it Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i don't know like i don't know that like i understand that a part of it is because like because the grant is to give you money towards the pursuit of this Mm -hmm. But I feel like, and this might just be me, I feel like I have a mental stigma towards we're getting money because we we're not getting the job, right? So we need a grant to balance out the fact that we're not being the first picked for the position, right? I have been in situations, uh, unfortunately, where I knew that I could program a show at a certain level, and um, I felt that I should be picked, it, but that's also like an ego thing. Like, yeah, oh yeah, I think that I would be perfect for this. And then I didn't get chosen. Um, and it was a show that was in Calgary, and they brought down a tech from um, another, another city. city. <laughs>
0: oh, that's yeah. That and would, I was like, make it feel, uh, a little crummy. <laughs> and so
3: in that moment, I was in that moment, I didn't actually. I was just kind of bummed out but I didn't look at it as me being female until one of my coworkers brought it up and then a second coworker brought it up and I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So, I,
0: I often I often I share that view with with you. Like I often won't first think, hey, did that not happen for me because I'm a woman or did I not get chosen? That's usually not my first thought, but
2: yeah, like, my first thought was
0: that it is or that it was. Mm-hmm. It's actually more heartbreaking, I think, to have it yeah. secondary realization that's that's the sad. Like that's when you actually get a case of sad about it. Like my
3: first realization was, okay, I need to prove myself a little more with my programming. Mm-hmm. They don't think I'm up to their standards. Right. And then when I saw the person programming, I was like, that's when after the two coworkers had. A- sort of mentioned it to me and I saw this person programming I was like Yeah, because our level was the same mm-hmm. um and and that's when I was kind of bummed about it but so that's okay. that's why the grant thing is like that's why we get the grant is mm-hmm. because we're not getting the job
0: right that makes tons of sense to me I just wonder what how I mean this exists in all all sort of places for women. It's like, how can we, I guess the systemic thing we're dealing with here is how can we get employers to consider us first, like to actually consider us equal in the pile of resumes? Because that's right. If you have the resume, you've got the skills, you've got the talent. Why can't you be automatically considered? And I think a lot of men in positions that are doing hiring would believe that they're really open-minded and that they're not against mm-hmm. that they are equal opportunity employers, but then sometimes they'll make snap decisions like that that don't really-
3: Subconscious thing. They don't even know. Yeah.
0: They don't <laughs> even know. So it's how do, yeah. we shift, how do we shift that little subconscious thing um, in, in people's minds so that they do choose us for the work so that you can get the job and not get the grant. That, that's the thing we're dealing with. And I don't have an answer, <laughs> but it's something I think about. Um,
3: I think I do have an answer. And unfortunately, it's not like a, just a quick switch, like it's something that I have to work on, and it, and that's where going back to proving yourself in the industry comes in. Mm-hmm. So I really, really like working with TK I want, I am one of the first texts that they call, and I want it to be that. So I would go out on shows and bust my ass. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had comments like when I did. Wicked Woods this year with uh, Zipper and Kevin. Um, Zipper came up to me after, and this was like a super proud moment for me. I don't know if he knows how much it meant to me, but it's something that I think about a lot. He came up and commented and said he wouldn't even have worked that hard and troubleshooted the lighting as hard as I had. Um, And so it's those little moments for me where I am struggling that I'm like, I want to prove myself. I need to get this done. So that my employer will see that I will work just as hard or harder than any of the other guys,
2: mm-hmm. so that
3: they will keep contacting me. So to flip that switch, you unfortunately have to be working full time with a company where they constantly see you working. Right. Like I now have, I have another company in Calgary that's mainly lighting based uh, that I work with, and the guys there are always like the leads. They love having me on site as well now like the first few shows it was okay we're not going to give her as much but now they literally will hand me the blueprint hand me a crew member and say this is your task go, go and they know it. that i'll get it done
0: yeah that's but awesome
3: you don't just flip that switch for the person hiring you prove yourself and prove yourself until they're like yeah this this girl is it's doing it's just as choice. much as everyone else exactly yeah
1: but do you feel that uh in other situations that stuff is, you don't have to prove as much uh maybe if you're a male in the industry where you're kind of given stuff that you're not capable c- competent in doing
0: yeah i mean that's what i see i see guys getting chances to blow it a lot more often mm-hmm. like i've so, said before, <laughs> yeah different conversation it was like Women, when we get given those chances, our options are one thing. One outcome is that we have to kill it. Like we have to do a really good job. Whereas I find with men, sometimes yeah. in different areas, like they'll get one or two chances. They can either do really so, well or blow it, and mm-hmm. they still get another chance. That's that's the issue. But I don't know how to fix that. That's the thing you have to work on.
3: <laughs> it's an interesting question, Dan, because I had a moment where I was put on a team with one other guy, and it was like. I think the fifth show that I had worked with uh, another company in Calgary. And we had a cable run up to the second floor over a balcony and then into um, the power, the house power. And so running that up, we had to sandbag it all along so that all of that cable weight wouldn't just whip down to the second floor. Right. Now, me and my coworker were sent up to unplug the power and then slowly like bring the cable back down to the floor as a team so I went to unplug the power and he had gone and taken off all of the sandbags but didn't tell me so he just pulled all of the weight that was holding the cable down he came unplugged the rest of the power with me and it just whipped I know. Flew down to the second floor and just like where everybody was working. Thankfully, no one was hurt. But we both looked over the balcony and were like, holy shit. And then walked back, like I took the sandbags and started walking downstairs and the rest of the crew were men. And and I found out an hour later that the entire crew thought it was me. Oh no. Mm. But nobody came up to talk to me. And thankfully he was, good enough guy that he once people were like I can't like I guess they all kind of got together while we were on coffee and I went to get a coffee and all of the guys were like I can't believe she did that and thankfully my co-worker was good enough to say it, oh that wasn't her fault that was mine mm. and when I came back um, he admitted to me that everyone thought that it had been me and I was like why did they think it was me yeah mm-hmm. just you know it was just in an automatic assumption um, and so he, thankfully, yeah. Cause he could have just stood there and been like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it was her. Like, and that would have been the moment because after that, because it had been such a big safety thing and all of those cables had whipped down, he actually wasn't hired back for a long time. Oh, mm-hmm. so He could have just stood there and been like, yeah, that was her. And I wouldn't have been hired back. Right. So Good for people, to you know, I, I have moments where people assume it's me first. you know i i screwed up first and so it's it's, as you said um earlier that we have we get given an opportunity and we have to make it right
0: it has to be right Mm -hmm. i feel like one way that men can help us um in these technical positions is is like you said earlier sort of give us those supportive words when there's an opportunity to tell us we've done a good job because that makes us feel less insecure first of all but also <laughs> when things are going wrong and you know women are being pegged as the person who made the mistake you know to speak up and and be a, a support person for what the truth is right like and
3: I still like, make so many mistakes like
0: everybody to make mistakes you know
3: right? I still do and I I'll, I'll want to admit them but there's I would definitely still like. I mean, but I think that's everyone, men included. It's always nice to hear yeah. that you've done a good job. It doesn't, it's not just a, a female thing.
1: You know, that's, it's interesting you say that though, because I know, not myself, but I know people on certain touring crews, you know, they, they don't get that, hey man, you did a good job tonight kind of thing where, and then they'll go and work for another crew and, you know, they get that, you know, after the show's done, like, wow, we really did, really killed it out there tonight. We really did a good job you know, or, or this one wrong, we could fix on it. It's not just dwelling on, uh, your, your insecurities of, you know, you couldn't do this tonight if efficiently. And, you know, Yeah, there's uh, I think, a- I think being able to, to be told, Hey, you know, you're, you did a good job. I think that definitely does go a long way.
0: Yeah, for
2: sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we had a couple of questions from people on Facebook and, uh, the one they're, they're one of them is a real easy one amadeus meitner wanted to know what kinds of music you guys listen to in your off hours because i guess you know we're all immersed in electronic music and then probably corporate stuff which is whatever it is but what do you like in your normal day-to-day life like who are you as a music listener
1: i mean i do mostly listen to electronic music because that's kind <laughs> of what i got into but i like less less of the stuff that i would hear at a club um not all the time but you know i like Um, Cohen Sound, for example, um, Flume, Pretty Lights, um John Hopkins. Mm. Um more chill, more chill kind of um I've been really listening to this artist named Ekla, E. K. C L E. And I I just it's like Cohen Sound in a sense, but I described it as it's more like uh a story storytelling through music kind of I, that's how I kind of describe it where is it the beginning is not the same as the end you know most yeah. most tracks have the same kind of sounds and structure throughout whereas yeah. their music is very uh up and down up and down n- no direction really but still musical.
0: Dan you were a producer too weren't you and you performed and you were a DJ <laughs> and you do all these things.
1: <laughs> in Once in a Lifetime I did uh I did I went to school for audio engineering. Um, so I did learn music production and recording. That's actually where I met zipper originally. Oh. Cool. Who's on our PK crew. And I also. um, One of our other crew members, I think Jacob went to Cato, I think. Kelowna? Yeah. I feel yeah, like there was somebody else that did. Area with okay. Anyway. I, uh, so, but yeah, then I did DJing for a few years, but I, and, you know, I, I was getting a little successful at DJing. Um, I was playing, you know, shows in all over Calgary and, um, even like motion notion and stuff, but I found that I didn't really enjoy being the center of attention that a DJ is. Yep. I
3: didn't,
1: I don't like that. I, even, even as a PK tech, uh, I get a little closed off when people come up and they're like, you know, you're amazing. You're, you know, (laughs) I, I I think it's called like imposter syndrome or whatever, where you, you feel like you're not really, You
0: just want to crawl under the table. You're like, you're like,
1: I don't really know if I'm worth this glory that you're giving me, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like being the center of attention and I, and as an introverted person, I don't like being in crowds as much. So being the sound tech, I still get to enjoy the show but, you know, I don't have to be a part of You're the like actual a perch show. You're in somewhere in your
2: little yeah. private
0: VIP room. <laughs> How
1: yeah. But yeah, generally what I listen to is just chill, chill sort of stuff. Not so much dance music that I want to have a party in my house to.
3: Yeah. Um, I am an old soul. So I, like, I grew up in a family um, where musical theater was a big, big thing. Um, so I sing most people don't know this, but I sing oh, a lot. <laughs> that's amazing. uh, I don't share it with people, but unless they're like really close to me um and I also play piano, so I mean, to me, like I really like the orchestra and mm-hmm. um any sort of like Beethoven sort of Bach and Mozart and stuff um but I also. Like, my mom, when we were growing up, she loves music, but she loves, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So that's a lot of what I listen yeah. to. The, um, the hit, yeah. the
2: classics, that's, like,
0: mine. But, loves all that Yeah,
3: stuff. but then, like, every once in a while, there's just, like, a really good song that's really fun to sing along with. Um, so a lot of times, like, I'll listen to um, a lot of more, like, top 40 pop artists that can really belt. Mm. uh so that means
0: like Adele
3: (laughs) yeah absolutely like Adele (laughs) yeah and so it's like Adele and you know Beyonce and I mean my guilty pleasure is Ariana Grande absolutely (laughs) uh it's not like at first when I started listening to her I was very shy to admit it uh, but her and like Billie Eilish and stuff like that. Um, Beautiful
0: voice. How can you deny? Yeah, I love
3: her. exactly. So <laughs> those are those are songs that like if I'm really in the mood to sing or like practice vocals,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I will listen to those artists. If I'm just like hanging out, it's usually 60s, 70s, 80s sort of music.
0: So was it the theater that got you interested in doing tech, like being a tech and doing light design and stage design? Was it that was was that your first? Kind of idea in your mind that you were going to be doing?
3: Uh, I actually never had the idea of being a stage tech oh. until I was in university. So cool. I, when I, when we started, because I have three other siblings, um, and they were all in musical theater, and so I would grow up watching their shows, and then I eventually got um, on the stage and was a performer, and uh, then. When I was in high school, I decided that I really wanted to be an architect. Wow. Um, I did musical theater like in high school. I also did um, the stage design and all of the backstage tech stuff as well, Um, like scenic painting and everything. And when I wanted to be an architect, I hate math and (laughs) I'm very bad at physics. (laughs) (laughs) so just really bad at both those things and it wasn't like looking to be sort of the right career path for me (laughs) so my mom my mom actually told me because she didn't want me to take a gap year she told me to apply for theater so I did and when I first got into the first year program I went in thinking that I wanted to be a director and that was also partially because uh, the guy that I was dating at a, at the time was in the directing program. So it oh, <laughs> sounds cool because I didn't really have a direction. Yeah. Um, and in my second year of university, I had to take a prerequisite for directing, which was um, design 101. Uh, I sat through the basically the first half hour of the um, intro where they give you the syllabus. And in that half hour, I was sold on design and uh that was that was where it all started for me was in second year university so that was when I was like yeah this is it and and that's how I got into it
0: that's so cool what a good story I love that you are a singer I um I work at a classical music school so I'm pretty familiar with all of the musical theater songs that are out there Um, it's (laughs) such a good form of self-expression um, so I didn't want to focus a ton on COVID-19 in this episode, but given that our entire industry is just so greatly impacted, why don't we just touch on what, how things have changed so quickly for everyone involved, in, uh, especially you, you know, the people in the production side of, the, of things are, are seemingly laid off for eternity. How does it feel I mean, right now to be in your business?
1: Well, I mean, it literally happened overnight. Michelle and I were on a show. That we were doing setup for. It was a fundraiser for um, autistic children. That was happening, or an academy for autistic children, and uh, we've done it a few years now. It's a very good event, um, but it takes a couple of days to set up, and we were halfway through setup, and it just it just happened so fast. It was like, yeah, the news was getting around, like, oh, it's in Alberta, it's here. Mm-hmm. But everyone was, including myself, I think at the start, I don't think anybody really, you know, we all, I think, downplayed the severity of it at first. So. And it, it uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was all like, oh, it's here. Okay, but it's only like one person. Okay, it's only two persons, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it was instantly like, all gatherings above 200 people are banned. Mm -hmm. which meant basically every event that matters Mm -hmm. um so we instead of finishing our setup we went in and struck everything we had already set up and we all looked at each other and we went i don't know when i'm going to see you again but good luck and uh,
3: dan's words were "See you in july maybe yeah Yeah. wow good prediction you had there
0: Calgary just announced the ban on events completely until june 30th and i think for me hearing that news was finally for me it said it it made it real I think I had been sort of clinging on for dear life like maybe things would get better but then when that announcement came in I don't know why it just hit me so hard I was pretty upset about it how, how are you feeling about it I mean this basically my my roommate Theo works for KLM Backline, and it was a similar thing they were on a they were on a plane to the Junos and they canceled the Junos while he was on the plane so he landed got on a different plane and came right home and then he was in like quarantine for 14 days but he um it, it all moved so quickly but he got back to Calgary went into his office and they were like you know every show is canceled for
1: the yeah, foreseeable I, mean, I think future we are s- all
0: laid off <laughs> I think yeah. we're gonna
1: see a lot of production companies that will struggle with this quite a bit um and I don't think PK is immune to that, but I think PK is better off than a lot because they have the manufacturing side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a core team uh, of employees that are, that are working um, that are, because they're still getting some orders right? Um, for, for speakers from other, other sides of the world that are doing better, like ch- China and stuff yeah. like that. Um, it's a, it's a small team though. It's not like 30 people or something like that. Yeah. But, just being able to have that, um, you know, carry them forward. But, you know, I don't know the financial side of, of, of the curtain, but, you know, I do know that all these production companies, including PK, you know, we all have large warehouse spaces in the industrial areas to store all our gear, you know, and I think that it's going to be tough to, to be able to keep those open and store all the gear. So and that's not just for production. I mean, that's for any company right now. But I, yeah. it's definitely going to be a challenge as we hit month two and three. You know, some of these companies can float themselves for a month, maybe two.
0: That's right. But uh, and for- I,
1: I, I feel good working for PK in that when it does start up again, we're going to be able to hit the ground running because yeah. we're going to be in a better situation already.
0: Yeah. Do you think, I mean, there's no indicators yet about what's going to happen this summer, but I mean, I would imagine some of the festivals that we love so much are going to be canceled or postponed or moved, maybe moved into the fall. I mean, what kind of an impact does that have on the business when everything gets pushed forward? Like it, does it change the dynamics of hiring or how the, the workflow? Cause I would imagine if festival season got pushed like September into late September, then we're already
1: looking. October is going to be slammed.
0: Yeah. Year. So yeah. You, cause then you're also mixing in corporate stuff and then of course, Christmas and then all the different seasonal things that go on. So like how, the, the further down the line impacts seem to be pretty intense. I can't imagine what that must be like.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be instead of a super busy July, it'll be a very busy September, October, assuming that we're good to go by then.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you're both not working is there anything else that you can do during this time um in your industry or what can you do
3: yes classes classes and getting yourself more acquainted with all of your programming so I was lucky enough I don't know about audio programming but I'm pretty sure there are some courses in audio right now but uh the most I mean dominating the lighting industry for um, Programming and operation is Grand MA. And uh, I think it's ACT or ATC. ATC is, is, uh, they had a bunch of courses online that you can normally pay for that are uh, more detailed courses into programming and understanding what MA is. And uh, they were very generous and they put all of those courses up on for free. Oh, that's fantastic. online yeah. and it's like it's honestly like 200 hours of courses uh which is great so I've been doing those um Vectorworks put up some free courses as well and I know that there's a bunch of other programs I think Obsidian and Onyx uh, did as well so mm-hmm. classes and basically making fake show setups is yeah kind of what I'm doing. And then I came out to visit my family too. Yeah, now, now's the
0: time
2: to get yeah. my visits in if you
3: can Yeah, there there
1: hasn't been too much in the audio sides of stuff that I've seen because you know a lot of um, with lighting you can do a lot of pre-show um, predictions and, and visualizations of what it's gonna look like. Um, but with audio you need to kind of stand in front of a massive sound system. In order Mm -hmm. to hear what's going on and how it's interacting with the room and the crowd and you know I think just if you wanted to brush up on physics and wave propagation and stuff like that then that would probably be the avenue I would go down. Um,
0: So it's a good opportunity for some to to actually dive a little deeper into their craft without having interruptions and distractions right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. What a
0: but uh, what a yeah,
1: the, uh, the, the benefits, did you, did your benefits uh, get approved yet, Michelle? Yeah. Oh, Mine still says pending. Get them so yet. I don't know. Mine still says time. pending, but tomorrow is when the um, CERB kicks in. Right. Mm-hmm. So for, I think they, I think I've read somewhere. It's like January, February, March, tomorrow, April 4th and 5th, or sorry, April six and seven we're on i don't even know what date it is anymore yeah six yeah, and seven
0: the right there's no way to know what day it is or where we are in the linear time
1: so yes. uh <laughs> we'll see how that happens i mean i i'm i'm lucky enough that i'm in a good position um you know where i live and and financially going into this that i should be fine for a while
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then you know with this crb kicking in I think we'll be okay, but I do know for others they might not be as lucky. So I definitely feel for them.
0: Yeah, it's a tough time right now for some for sure. It's hard not to be totally stressed all the time about what's gonna happen next, right?
1: Yeah. I mean it's I wanna it's on one hand I wanna stay informed and hear about the news and everything going on every day just to see if there's any new developments. Yeah. But it's also a mental taxation of yeah, dread.
0: It is. Pay attention
1: to that. Yeah. I've
0: noticed that I am much. I feel much better when I don't go on Facebook and read stuff. Like I'm, I'm definitely on there. We're definitely all in there. Scant like doing the, <laughs> looking at the feed every hour. But I actually have not. I've been intentionally not clicking links and just you know reading people's fun things. And I've been unfollowing yeah. a lot of people. Like the conspiracy theories. I have definitely out. been unfollowing <laughs> a lot of people. It's crazy um, how quickly things can. Uh, Spiral out of control with, with,
3: yeah. But it's crazy to see who's part of the problem. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I'm disappointed in my mom, but she knows it. Uh, (laughs) When I came out to Vic, because when I came out here, first of all, my whole family was like, don't fly. But uh, the airport was actually empty Mm -hmm. and there were five people on my flight and I was like, ah, we'll be fine. But so, when I was coming out, my mom told me to get toilet paper because they have none. And I was like, nobody has any. Uh, and I got here and I opened, I was looking for a towel when I was taking a shower and I opened the cupboard to the bathroom and I was like, mom, you don't need me to buy you toilet paper. She has so many rolls, And I told her that I was disappointed in her. And I was like, you're the person that creates problems, you know? So it's It's been interesting and I'm finding it with certain people, it's really hard to talk about because everybody's views are different. There's the people who panic. There's the people who don't take it seriously at all. Mm -hmm. There's the people in like a happy medium um, and you kind of have to find the people who have the same mentality as you or it just becomes like a really angry sort of topic because it's such, there's so much fear
1: around it. Mm-hmm. definitely I th- i'd say control the things that you can control and mm-hmm. don't let yourself succumb to the feeling of i can't handle this to things that you have no control over
0: yeah absolutely i think it's really easy to do that right now um i i too had some disappointment in my parents they were not they both own their own business and they were working still at their office with five or six other people. And I was like, you guys have to stop doing that because my my stepdad has COPD. So he's really at risk. And I just thought, you know, you can just have someone else working. Like you don't need to be there. Everything that you do is very managerial. Like you don't need to be in the office. And then they announced that uh, he's going to go do a roofing job because he runs a roofing company so he's gonna go to edmonton for six weeks with copd and still do his his roofing job and i was really upset i was like my whole industry is totally shut down and everyone i know is abiding by these rules so that people like you don't get infected by people like us i need you to sit down and stay at home and stop going outside and they totally wouldn't listen to me and i was just like god how many other people are being exactly like that and uh, th- this problem isn't going to go away if, the, if we have that as the as the majority you know Ugh, it's frustrating parents and their toilet paper
1: <laughs> but yeah as, as for social media I'd say you know try and be a a light in the darkness you know I, I was sharing old memories of raves actually and shows that I had Recorded videos of because I you know we haven't done any shows for a month, let's yeah,
3: they've been great they've been great show been
1: some some old time. content
3: yeah, it's got yeah. a lot of content, yeah,
1: constantly
3: filming. that's mm-hmm. a new picture.
0: well, is there anything else you guys want to chat about, or is that it? I mean, we've been chatting now for ninety minutes. This is a great what? talk. <laughs> it went by really yeah, good <laughs> <It was awesome. laughs> thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I hope that both yeah, of you thanks for time. having us restful couple months and hopefully i'll see you out there in the summertime maybe i don't know lot to see
3: i feel like once this is over our industry is going to be one of the first industries that blows up and has a lot of work cuz oh everyone's going to want to be outside doing the first parties that go down
1: <laughs> the, the first parties that go down are going to be off the chain
0: yeah good yeah. times Good times all around, and you know what? They'll probably be really well produced because everyone will have so much creative, like stuff mm-hmm. in the in the pipes from this time that mm-hmm. the visuals will be on point. The sound's gonna be amazing. Everybody's gonna make decorations. I'm sure it's gonna be awesome.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd say for anyone that you know wants to get into this industry, it might be a little slow right off the get go, um, but you know, prove yourself to it's all it is definitely about people you know and and you know get in contact with people and show that initiative that you definitely want to do this and that you have a little bit of experience i know it's one of those things is like how do i get experience if i don't have experience mm-hmm. um but you know you're not going to get hired onto a full-time production company as big as someone like pk with no experience so you know i think start smaller someone like theater for example where michelle got into or you know a smaller um you know wedding production company or something and then
3: bar venues you know,
1: yeah. yeah uh you know prove yourself and your capabilities there and and then make a name for yourself and then you'll get headhunted eventually by these bigger companies mm-hmm. but it might take some time it might take some de- it might take some dedication mm-hmm. i went to school for audio engineering and i didn't get hired into an audio job until probably five years later Four years oh, wow. later, something like that. So, yeah.
3: And I got, I went into lighting and I got hired by an audio company.
1: Yeah. So. There you go. <laughs> to do
0: manufacturing, no less.
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's crazy. That's such a cool story. You both have been so great. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank, thank you. For having us. Yeah. Anytime we'll chat again. Maybe we should have a follow up chat in December Let's <laughs> see how you're well, holding it together.
3: Dude, if anybody has further questions for anything that we commented on yeah and then we can do like a follow-up if there's more for sure Okay,
0: that sounds like a great plan all right that's it all right that wraps up episode number 12 with dan dirksen and michelle sparksman now you can find dan on facebook uh he's always a big wealth of knowledge on all kinds of technical stuff as i said in the the episode here and uh, michelle's not on facebook but you can find her on instagram ms sparky with two y's and uh she has a private account so you can request to be her friend there but she's both of these people have been wonderful it was a really fun conversation so man i can't wait to be on a dance floor again with a sound system of any kind that's the truth Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, you can find all the good, all the good news about all the things that I'm doing at www.esetmusic.com. Sweat Equity comes out every Sunday in the recorded format and I will announce what our live stream plan is probably on our next episode. So stay tuned. Thanks for the
2: support and we will chat with you all again soon.